Well, ladies, welcome. We're studying the Tehillim of David HaMelech Alev Shalom Today I'd like to uh, try to get through two chapters. They are connected. We're going to start from chapter 93. That's Sadi Gimal. And uh, the chapter uh, begins, Adonai Malach Geut Lavesh, Lavesh Adonai Ozet Azar, Aftikon Tebel, Baltimot. So this is a, a chapter that talks about uh, the future when Mashiach comes. Uh, the atheists of the world and the deniers of God will come to the realization that God was the king. Uh, we know that God is the king, but uh, they, in the present tense, they don't accept God's kingdom. So when Mashiach comes, they're going to say, Hashem Malach. We realize in retrospect that God actually was the king, Geut Lavesh, that's the time that he's going to gird himself with Geut, Geut is glory and, and uh, uh, um, the arrogance that only belongs to God uh, by humbling all the other nations. Aftikon Tebel Baltemot. God is going to uh, be, the people are going to become aware that it is God that actually stabilizes and gives uh, the foundation to the world. This talks about God's chair. God's chair is the Kisea Kavod. God's chair already was established from then, meaning from even before the world was created. The Kisea Kavod, God's chair of glory, was there. These are all uh, admissions that the Guim are going to say, things that they did not recognize in real time. But when Mashiach comes, they look back, they say, now we understand that the chair of God was always there, and the olam ata, you were there from, uh, from the beginning. The Pasukov is referring to the, to the rivers. The rivers are going to um, uh, uh, rise up. These rivers, of course, are not talking about rivers of water. It's talking about the enemies of Bnei Israel. They refer to violent waters. The rivers are going to rise up, and they're going to make loud, loud sounds. If anybody heard the, uh, the, the ocean at the time of a hurricane, it sounds like there's a, uh, a train barreling through a, 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 a town. That's what the enemies of Bnei Israel sound like, a, a raging, roaring river that has loud sounds. When they came to war against the Jewish people, um, uh, <clears throat> as again referring to the, the rising waters of the, uh, the Guim, uh, when you hear the, the great breaking of the waves, so to speak. Uh, ultimately, uh, we come along and say that louder than all of those enemies is Hashem, Adir Bamarom, He's in the heavens. And he is our protector. All the testimonies that were said by the prophets will come true. The testimonies. They came to be. We realize that they are truthful. In retrospect, all these things that the prophets are going to tell us when Mashiach comes, this is going to happen and that's going to happen. And uh, the Goyim say, oh, this is a, a pipe dream. After it's going to happen and manifest itself, all those testimonies are going to be verified, very verified. 
the Betechan of Akodesh, ultimately you're going to build the third Bet HaMikdash. That's the Betecha. Na'ava is a dwelling of holiness. Adonai le'orech yamim. And uh, that Bet HaMikdash is going to last forever. We call that orech yamim. And Hashem's kingdom is going to rule and be uh, forever. So this is a time, obviously, that didn't happen yet. We're waiting for this to happen. And that brings us to chapter 94, which says, In the meantime, God, we're waiting for you to take revenge. El nekamot Adonai, el nekamot God is the God of revenge, and He's going to take uh, retribution against all our enemies. And therefore we say, God, you are the judge of the world. Rise up. Pay retribution on the arrogant ones. God, until when are you going to allow the Rishaim until when are you going to allow the Rishaim to rejoice against us? They express themselves, our enemies. They speak uh, arrogant words. They speak curses. Yitamiru means they are exalted, like the Amir. The, the Amir is the, is the, the head by the Arabs. Yitamiru, called Pu'alavan. Today, the Pu'alavan, the evildoers are exalted. The evildoers are praised. It's uh, 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 the enemies of God are the ones that are being uh, lifted. And what happens to us? The nation of God, they're being oppressed. Uh, if anybody knows history, one of the first labor camps that the Jews were sent to is Dachau. And uh, I saw one of the rabbis said that there's an image in the Pasuk, that the nation of God will be sent to Dachau, which was also a form of Dachau, where they oppressed us. And your, 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 your lot will be oppressed, they're going to torture us. And not only that, they killed the orphans, they killed the widows, and they say, they say, we have no fear of God. God doesn't know what's going on, God is in heaven, he doesn't know what's happening on earth, they deny the, the providence of God, they, divide, they, they deny the Hashkahav Hashem, this is what the Goyim say. So we're asking God in this chapter, and I'm getting to a point, which is the topic of today, but I want to get to the Pasuk. <coughs> the point is that we're saying to God, until when are you going to be patient? You're a God that takes revenge. Take revenge already. This is now, we're asking Hashem now, against all our enemies. It didn't happen yet. And now we turn to the people. You, Bo'arim, Bo'arim is imbeciles, Uxilim, you foolish people. When are you going to have wisdom? When are you going to wake up? The one that created the ear. Don't you think he could hear? If Hashem created the ear, so he could hear, that means. It means you're coming along to say God doesn't know what's going on. God is in heaven and he's not aware of the events that are transpiring on earth. So you're saying that God is deaf. And that's why the Yiddishayim can get away with it. And therefore God doesn't even know that his Jewish people are in trouble. So we're saying, does it make sense? The one that created the ear, shouldn't he be able to hear? The one that created the eye, don't you think he's able uh, to see? The one that created the goyim, don't you think he has the ability to chastise them and rebuke them? The God that created the brain. Don't you think he has knowledge to say that God doesn't know? 
the God that creates the brain of everybody to give them know, to give them knowledge. He doesn't know. God even knows what the people are thinking. And compared to what humans are thinking, against God's wisdom, the most loftiest thought that a Jew can have compared to God's deepest thoughts is considered nothing. And now the Pasuk says, In the meantime, fortunate is the one that receives the affliction of God. And nonetheless, still studies Torah and does not give up his religion even at a time of affliction. But there will come a time where God will make sheket. God will make peace. And the Yisurin will ultimately save him from Gehinam. It'll minimize Mimera from the bad days. The bad days are in Gehinam. If a person gets Yisurin in this world, it's Lehashkitlo. It's to diminish from the days of bad. Until that day will come where the Rasha will be, uh, reaches demise. God will not leave his nation even through the uh, difficult times. There will come a time where tzedek will prevail, justice will prevail, and all the righteous people will be exalted. Now we're turning to God. Who is going to help me uh, against all these bad people? Who will stand for me in against all the wicked? If it wasn't for God that helps me, almost I, I collapse. And if I say to myself, I cannot withstand this anymore, I rely on God. The kindness of God will support me. With all the difficulties that are inside of me, however God, you console me. Now, the main pasuk that I wanted to get is to the last two pasukim. Ultimately, God is going to be my protection. Miskab means my fortress. And God will be my rock. And here we get to the main event. God is going to make retribution on them. The goyim. Onam means they're evil. They're going to be repaid. That's the two words we focus on today. What does that mean? From the evil that they did, God will destroy them. Yatsmitem means he will uh, uh, demolish them. These two words over here, is a method that God uses in order to destroy the goyim. And this method over here is worth uh, considering and analyzing. We see it and a few examples in the Tanakh that I want to bring uh, to light this afternoon. There is a system where God uses the plot of our enemies to reverse it against them, that they should be the victim of the, uh, of the, of the plan that they had against us, which means God... God has many ways to kill our enemies. But instead, instead of generating a new method, he uses the method that the goyim already are employing against us and almost as if it's a boomerang. The arrow that they shot towards us will reverse and hit them in the stomach. 
You're so you're so unbelievable. Unbelievable. <laughs> Don't say the punchline so fast. Don't say the punchline so fast. But this this is the concept. This is a concept that you are absolutely correct. They call it the system of Vinahafoch. If you look at Migilat Esther, you'll see the concept Vinahafochu. Vinahafochu is a method of punishing the Guim. It's not that he uses external or extraneous methods. He uses the method that the enemy was using against us. It just turns on him. It's a reversal. It's a Vinahafoch system. We see it in our times. If a terrorist in Gaza is planning a bomb that God forbid will be detonated on a bus of innocent people. We see many times, not enough times, that the bomb detonates on them before they're able to do it. Now, God could kill the terrorists in many ways. They get a heart attack before they do it. Or they could have a stroke or they get hit by lightning. But instead, God says, why do I have to generate a new way? I'll use the way that they, that they already are planning, which shows the Hashkah on a much greater level. That God could use the hands of the enemy that were trying to bring the destiny into one direction and God is able to reverse it and bring it in the reverse direction that it lands on them, which is almost as if the enemies will dig their own graves, which is, which is incredible hashkaha. Now you don't always see this, <clears throat> but you see it enough times. The classic example, before we get to the deeper examples, is when Paro's uh, astronomers told them that they see the Jewish leader is going to be born. Paro has a simple plan. Take all boys and drown them. By that, you will get rid of the Jewish leader. And it makes sense. And every boy that was born subsequently was thrown into the Nile. As a result of that plan, it turns out Batya or Bitya, however you want to say her name, goes out to the, to the banks of the water, either to take a bath or to go to the mikveh, however you want to learn. And she ends up retrieving the basket of Moshe. And before you know it, Moshe, the leader that Paro is trying to kill, is sitting on his lap. And he's burping him, he's feeding him. And he ends up being raised in the palace. Now, God could have saved Moshe in a million different ways. He didn't have to save him in this way. It turns out that when Moshe Rabbeinu is growing up, he eventually is going to become the leader of Bnei Yisrael, but you got to go to leadership school. Who would teach Moshe Rabbeinu leadership? Paro, he goes to the best school. Is there a better leader at the time than Paro? And Paro's giving him all the, the ways to, to, run, to, to run countries. Little does he know, Paro, that the education that he's giving Moshe will later uh, be used against him in the story of uh, Yitzhak Mitzrayim. So therefore... What was the cause of Moshe being saved? The decree that Paro employed to kill Moshe ends up saving him. I mean, it's, a, it's stunning. It makes it much more exciting and wondrous to see the Hashkahat Vashem. You wouldn't think that if a, if a arrow is going in one direction, that it could reverse directions. And Bori Alam says, I'm going to show you, I could use their hands and their prowess and their plots uh, that will uh, blow up in their own face. And this is what it means in Haggadah Shel Pesach, when we say, We always learn simply that Hashem saves us from their hands. Which is true, Hashem always saves us from their hands, from the hands of our enemies. But according to this interpretation, it means, 
miyadam, using their hands. Meaning, God uses the hands of the enemy, the same hands that were trying to kill us, God uses those hands in order to bring us to salvation. Miyadam, from the hands, meaning from the same hands that were looking to destroy us, those hands themselves will bring us to a salvation. And we see this in the story of Purim. Allow me to connect now the words of our chapter in a deep way to the stories of Purim, which you might not be aware of. I know you heard the story at least 100 times in your life. If the average age is 50, we read the Megillah twice a year. So you must have heard the story 100 times. But through my experience, for some reason, other stories that you hear 100 times, you know already. But for some reason, Megillah is said, uh, we forget the details of the story, and we're not exactly, uh, 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 um, uh, we don't have exactly the details correct. So I'd like to review it quickly with you, because there's some nuances here that I think are overlooked, and they're the key to the whole story. In chapter 1, Ahasuerus makes a party. The party is a six-month party. Then he makes a seven-day party, and then in his height of his drunkenness and his excitement, he summons Vashti to come to attend the men's party. Vashti refuses. This is uh, uh, very, very embarrassing to Ashverosh that his wife, who probably, you know, uh, woman's liberation, I got a list of her husband, she was one of those maybe, or maybe not, I'm not sure. But the point is, she refuses flatly to go to her husband. Ashverosh now wants to know what to do with this lady. So the Megillah is very clear and does not spare any words. He asks his advisors. And it says, he asked the Hakamim, he asked the Yodei Ha'itim. It tells us the name of the advisors, Karshena, Shetar, Admata, Tarshish, Meris, Marshanam, Mukhan. And what is he asking his advisors? What to do? What do you do with a queen who defies her husband in public and embarrasses? He doesn't know what to do. He needs advice. Amazing enough, the seventh advisor, who was the lowest in ranking, his name is Memuchan, who actually we know to be Haman, he pipes up, even though he really should have kept quiet and given respect to the six uh, uh, other people that had higher ranking. But the Gemara says, barosh. The fool usually, who has the least knowledge, but usually uh, makes the most noise. And... Uh, yeah, that's true. So anyway, <laughs> anyway, he, he pipes up and he starts to say, well, listen, I think the king should write a devar malchut. These are the most important words. Devar malchut. Yetzeh devar malchut. What does devar malchut mean? A royal decree. Now these words overlooked. The king should write a royal decree. There's a great rabbi called Yosef Leka. He explains royal decree. Royal decree means what Haman is telling Hashverosh is, I don't understand what he's asking advice for. You don't have to ask advice. You're the Fuhrer. Hitler doesn't have to ask advice from, from what to do. A dictator does what he wants. Why are you treating your kingdom like a democracy? This is something that you should decide on your own and nobody should have the right to tell the king not the Senate, not the House of Representatives, not the Supreme Court. Haman is now telling Hasverosh, 
you should have the right to exercise what's called Devar Malchut, royal edicts. Now this is Haman taking Hashverosh's reign to a different level. He basically saying, till now you were a limited monarch, now you should be an absolute monarch. And therefore, this business of asking us what you should do, do whatever you want. Now, if anybody tasted power before, power is very addictive. And you can never have enough. So that's music to the, to the, uh, to the ears of Ahasuerus, that somebody is giving me more power. Now, who's going to argue with Haman at that point? Is anybody going to say, no, he has to answer? I mean, Ahasuerus is a powerful guy, as it is. And therefore, everybody says, yeah, okay. And basically, at this point, Haman has uh, 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 elevated Ahasuerus to an absolute monarch that does not have to ask permission for anything. That's called Devar Malchut. And that's what if you look at the next pasuk, the pasuk says, and Hashverosh sends a royal decree, whatever the new decree is. And it's not signed by anybody except by Hashverosh. And who gets the credit for that? Haman. Later on in the story, and this is mathematics that you never heard before. These are mathematics that don't, don't come out with the right answer. Later on in the story, Bigtam Bateresh were the two gods of the king have a, a, a plot against Ahasuerus. They want to kill Ahasuerus. And what happens? Mordechai, who speaks the language of Bektan Bateresh, they didn't know that he was a linguist. And he overhears what they have to say. And he goes to Queen Esther and says, listen, there's a plot against the king, Bektan Bateresh, go tell the king. Esther goes, tells the king in the name of Mordechai. She's not a plagiarist. She doesn't take credit for herself. She says, yeah, Mordechai has information Ahasuerosh uh, studies the information what and language? finds it to be, again? What language was it? Tarshi, it's called. I don't speak it, but that's uh, wasn't Pig Latin. But the point is, when, when, when the king studies the information and he finds the information to be credible, that Big Tamba Teresh actually wanted to kill the king. It's credible information. So the Pasuk says, and Ahasuerosh a decrees to kill Bigtam Bateresh. Beauty. Now what should the next Pasuk say? The next Pasuk should say, and the king subsequently rewards Mordechai. Doesn't say that. You know what the next Pasuk says? They hang Bigtam Bateresh, and the king elevates Haman and gives him a promotion. Now hold it. Uh, that does something here. We're missing something. Haman had nothing to do with this. It's Mordechai that saved the king's life. Why does Haman get a promotion for something that Mordechai did? Again, the end of Perek Bet tells us about the hanging of Bektan Bateresh. The beginning of Perek Gimal says, And we're saying, wait, what's going on over here? What's this reaction? Explanation. Before Ahasuerus was elevated to an absolute monarch, what would have to happen in this case? You would have to bring Bigtab Bateresh to trial. You'd have to bring them to the CIA, to the FBI. You'd have to follow due process. Over here it says, Ahasuerus kills them on his own. Who gave Ahasuerus the power to do that? Haman. And therefore, the, the candy that Haman gave Ahasuerus, now he's eating it. You know, it's one thing to get a piece of candy when you start to taste how delicious it is. So therefore, you say, this is incredible. 
And therefore, he's starting to use this absolute power. He can kill anybody he wants. He doesn't even have to make such a big investigation, by the way. If he feels there's a threat against Bhutan Bateris, in the old government, there's, a, there's an investigation. You know how investigations work in government? They could last for, 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 for 10 years till you get a, a result. And there's papers and papers. He and Bhutan Bateris are killed on the same day. And nobody can say anything. And the Hasidosh is feeling the power. And therefore, who does he reward for that absolute power? Haman now gets a promotion. That's the way we learn Megillat Esther. That's the depth of the understanding. So now, could you believe this? Haman has the signet of the king. And the Haman can really get away with a lot of stuff. And he's an anti-Semite. And he starts making decrees against the Jewish people. Fine. We'll discuss these decrees in a minute. Mordecai finds out about the decree which is a miracle how he found out about it, because it really wasn't public knowledge. He goes and tells Queen Esther, oh, they have to figure out a plan now. So the plan is they're going to make a party. That's the story. So now Queen Esther says, I want the king to come to a party. Who else is invited? Nobody, just Haman. Okay, they send an invitation. You know, ever see a royal invitation? Royal invitation is the most elegant thing. He gets the invitation. You and Hashverosh are invited by the king it's an exclusive uh, queen. It's an exclusive party. Nobody else. When is it? Tomorrow morning. Monday morning. Haman going crazy. Front page of all the newspapers. Haman, the only officer in the 127 mandates of Hazra, the only one that's invited to the party. He can't see straight. He was already a Baal Gava. He was already arrogant. I don't know how he can become even more arrogant, but this is what's happening. He can't believe himself. He's invited. He goes to the party... We can only imagine what type of party this is. Hasmerosh's palace, they're on the balcony. They have drinks, of course, cigars. They're talking whatever they're talking about, enjoying all the opulence. Udah, Mishteh, beautiful. Hasmerosh says to Esther, Queen Esther, you made this beautiful party. We're here now. What is your desire? Please, if the king respects me and loves me, could you come to another party tomorrow? And tomorrow I'll, I'll, I'll tell you, uh, uh, my wish. Who's invited? Same company, same Zimun, the same, the same, the same three. I, I can't believe it now. Now another party. It was enough that he gets this private audience with the king and the queen. But the fact that he's gonna come back when he leaves the first party on Monday, if he couldn't see straight before the first party, now he's blinded by his uh, uh, by his newfound glory. And uh, it says he's Sameyah Tovlev. I mean, tomorrow, wait, wait till he tells his wife, Deja vu, take two, we're going to do this again. What happens? On the way out to the party, he's going home, he's going home to change his tuxedo for tomorrow's party. He, he bumps into Mordechai. And Mordechai again doesn't bow. Or does, now he's agitated. He was on a high, and now he's agitated. But he's so agitated, he says, you know what? I'm going to finish with this guy. It's Monday now, Monday afternoon, after the party. He goes home, he tells his wife, well, what should I do with this guy? I mean, uh, everything in my life is good, except this one guy. So his wife says, listen, you're, friends, you're friendly with the king. It's very simple. We're going to build a gallows. We're going to build a very, very tall gallows. And we'll hang him on the gallows tomorrow, before the party. Tomorrow, Tuesday, before the party, we'll hang him with a, so you can go to the party without this guy on your head. They said they love it. Haman right away decrees, go build the gallows. Now, how tall was the gallows, by the way, just for the record? 50 amma. Does anybody know how uh, tall 50 amma is? In, not in the metric system. We don't use the metric system. In feet? Yeah. So assuming that each amma is two feet, which is more or less correct. 
It's a hundred feet. Does anybody know how much hundred feet is? Have you ever a ten-story building? Ten-story building is a tall building. It, it's, it's like a condominium. It's, 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 it's very, very high. I can ask you a simple question. How many people are we hanging on this gallows? One. Uh, by the way, a telephone pole will be sufficient. Guess what? Uh, 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 a stickball bat will be sufficient. Hang, hang, him, hang him from the light bulb. I mean, what, what to make such a, such a monstrosity of a structured 100 feet? You need a variance for that. You need zoning. I mean, kind of, I mean, isn't it a little overkill to go? I mean, you got to go to the Redwood Forest to find a tree that's 100, uh, 100 feet. Even Where does he find such a tree? That's for another class. But anyway, he says, that's the tree. Why? What was his kavana? Because they wanted to be a spectacle. In those days before Instagram, how are you going to let everybody know what's going on? Before social media, how are you going to know what, 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 what's going on? There's only one way you can know. You have to make a spectacle. So if he gives them a cyanide pill, only the doctor and the two witnesses that are there are going to know that Mordechai. But you put them on the gallows, and the kavana de Midras says, we want the gallows to be so high that it can be seen from the palace. So when tomorrow, when Haman is on the same deck, drinking the tequila and smoking the cigar, instead of uh, a pinata, you see Mordechai dangling from a tree. That'll only make the party much better. That's the plan. This is going to be the entertainment. The entertainment of these two anti-Semites at the party is going to see without binoculars because it's so high. And they're going to be, ha, 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 look at the Jew boy dangling from the tree. So the plan is, Tuesday morning we hang him. Tuesday after we go to the party, and the anti-Semites will revel in Mordechai's uh, death, and the whole world will, or the whole Shushan at least, will be able to see it. You understand what the plan is? <clears throat> now all Haman needs is for Hashverosh to sign off. Because again, Haman is powerful, but he's not the king. So he's going to need Hashverosh to sign the paper that we could do it. You block the streets, whatever, you got to speak to the transportation, to speak whatever to the, to the police department, make sure tomorrow that, uh, you know, that there's no uh, interference. When is he going to speak to him? The logic is Tuesday morning. And wh- when does the palace open for meetings usually? Uh, King Azurosh doesn't get up for nets, I don't think. So he's uh, 9 o'clock, Minyan, let's say. So 9 o'clock, after his coffee, you sit with him. For some reason, I mean, a bug comes into Haman's brain I got to talk to him Monday night. Okay, Monday night, emergency meeting, Monday night. What could be so important? Now it's 2 o'clock in the morning. Don't ask. Haman says, let me take a shot to see if the king is up. He looks up, he sees the lights are on in the palace. He's okay. Now, Hashverosh happened to have insomnia that night, as we know. And uh, he's in his pajamas. The guy woke up in the middle of the night. And uh, he can't sleep. And uh, he calls his physician. He calls his people. I can't sleep. Uh, take, uh, take, take NyQuil, PM. No, 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 I, I, there's something bothering me. What's bothering you? I don't know. Open the, open the diary. Anybody I owe, I owe a favor to? Uh, it says over here, Mordechai, the Jew, nine years ago he did you a favor. Nine years? It's past the statute of limitations. What do you mean nine years? We didn't pay the guy? Why did we pay the guy? What did he do for me anyway? He only saved your life. He saved my life? Remind me of the story. Tan, Tedish. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I don't believe we didn't pay him. Okay, we have to... As he's mulling over this, knock, knock, you know, knock, knock, joke, knock, knock, who's there, Haman, Haman, who, you can't get a better joke than this. He comes in, and what's Haman's intention at this point? He's coming to ask the king a question. Dear king, I have a gallows, it's built already, 
unbelievable. I just need you to sign this. So, by the way, nice pajamas, by the way. But I, I, sorry to interrupt you, but I saw you up anyway. I just need the king's signature just to kill uh, Mordechai uh, on the tree. And then, uh, then I'll see you, see you tomorrow by the party. Can't wait, by the way. See you tomorrow. Anyway, he comes in for that intent. Before he can open his mouth, Ahasuerus says, great to see you. Unbelievable. I don't believe you're here. I need to ask you a question. So he says, uh, of course. He says, listen, there's somebody does, 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 he's a very loyal guy to the king. The king really wants to pay him back. And I want to reward him. I, I just don't know what to do. What, what, what do you do to the guy that the king wants? Now, of course, Haman is a megalomaniac. He only thinks about himself. He, he can't imagine there's somebody else that can find favor in the eyes of the king besides himself. So right away, he's thinking, well, he's got to be talking about me. I mean, what else can he do? He gave me the ring already. I mean, I'm the only one invited to two parties. So, I mean, I mean the man that has everything is going to get some more now. And the king can't sleep at night because he doesn't know what to do for me. So Aman starts to, you know, go into the fantasy. They say, well, you know what? The guy should be able to ride the king's horse. And I think he should wear the royal garments. And even the crown. And Osvaldo's not too happy about the crown part. But as Haman is talking, he's going, yeah, good, I like it, I like it, great. Oh, why didn't I think of that? Great, great, great. And then what? I take him on the horse, and he should say, and I love it, I love it. And Haman is gloating, and all of a sudden, Hasbro says, great, Mordechai, go do it to Mordechai tomorrow morning, ASAP. And he swallows his Adam's apple now. Haman says, what, Mordechai? Did you say Mordechai? I thought you were talking about me. Because he doesn't say that, but he says, I don't believe it over here. Now, after Hashanah finishes, he turns to Haman. By the way, what did you come for? <laughs> oh, nothing. I, I, just, uh, I just wanted to say, Kiryat Shema Lamita with the king. Like, what, 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 what? You, had to, you had to tell me something? No, no, I was just in the neighborhood. Oh, you were just in the neighborhood at 2 o'clock in the morning, and you paid me uh, a visit. Uh, you had something to tell me? Uh, no, uh, I'll see you later. Because now, how could he tell the king at that point, oh, I want to hang Mordechai on the gallows? Uh, talk about bad timing. So uh, Haman has to shelf that idea. Ladies, I know you know the story. But there's a part of the story that you're going to hear now that you don't know. I'm getting to the part you don't know. So anyway, he comes along and he says, uh, fine, I'll take care of the ASAP uh, uh, king in the morning. And of course, the next morning, Tuesday morning, he's got to do this unimag unimaginable thing. And listen, Haman's mind... Prince Mordechai amongst the street, and now it's three o'clock in the afternoon, he's got to go to the party. So he's got a busy day. And the gallows are still up, by the way. He doesn't have time to take the gallows down. Because it's a busy day, and the gallows, by the way, till he got it up, <laughs> I got to take it down. That's the whole, you know, whole, whole business itself. They get to the party, same deja vu. They're on the balcony, the tequilas again, the cigars, everybody doing it. And now you have this, this eyesore now, this gallows. They're looking at it. Anyone with that? Okay. What is it? What is it? The Verrazano Bridge. What is this thing over here? Okay, they don't pay attention to it. And then obviously the king says to Esther, Esther, the second day of the party, we're all here. Uh, tell us, tell us what it is. Isarbe, oh yeah, this creepy guy, Rasha, enemy of me and my people, wants to kill me and my nation. And Hashverosh now is as livid. What? You want to kill my wife? He's not such a good friend of the Jews, but uh, you want to kill my wife? And then Hashverosh, he can't, uh, he can't believe it. He goes out to the other balcony to take a breath of fresh air. And Haman is begging uh, Queen Esther, please don't do this to me. And when Hashverosh walks in, he thinks he's trying to do something uh, 
immoral to, to what? Now you want to do this to my wife? Everything is toppling, toppling, toppling. And now Haman, all of a sudden a guy walks in called Harbona. Enter Harbona. You can't write a Broadway show better than this. Hashem's unbelievable the way. Every, he happens to walk in, knock, knock, with the Harbona. Where'd you, I never heard of Harbona before. He, he shows up, Harbona is here. He comes in, not a minute before. Uh, King, you look angry. Look angry? There's smoke coming out of his nose. Of course I'm angry. What are you angry? This guy, Haman, this guy. What to do? Harbona says, well, hey, listen, he came for a variance yesterday to build his gallows, actually to hang Mordechai. What gallows? It's right there. Oh, right there. You could see it. So the king says, hang him. And before Haman can even breathe or ask for an appeal, he's on the tree. Now let's stop for a second. Talk about a boomerang like you never heard before. What would normally have to happen if the king wants to kill Haman? Well, you got to go to the trial and you have to make uh, advisors and you have... And guess what? If that would happen, I bet you Haman survives because there are a lot of anti-Semites that don't want Haman to be killed, by the way. And therefore, if the old system of following the protocol, you have to get the Supreme Court, and first you have to go to federal court, and then it goes up to the higher courts and whatever, there's a, uh, state courts, Supreme Court, etc., if you're going to follow protocol of a democratic country, Haman probably will get uh, a slap on the wrist from these anti-Semites. They really don't want to kill Haman. And they'll give him, you know, a desk, uh, a desk job for a couple of months. And uh, eventually he'll come back. But because Ahasuer doesn't have to ask anybody, he's able to kill Haman instantly because of the Bar Malchut. And who instituted the Bar Malchut? Haman. So ultimately, Haman becomes a victim of his own rule. His own, because he made that rule, which was ultimately to try to hurt us somehow. But that rule that he made actually comes back to bite him. And he's going to get killed immediately. And Ahasuerus does not have to ask anybody. Furthermore, the fact that he built this big gallows, which he wanted to make a spectacle, God says, Great idea. You think you're going to make the spectacle on Mordechai. Great idea, by the way, with the gallows. We're going to use your idea against you. And therefore the gallows, which is intended to, uh, to hit B'nai Yisrael, Mordechai, ends up hitting. So, so that's the system of Kod That's an unbelievable system where Mordechai doesn't generate a, a new way to kill Haman. Again, Haman could have just died in his sleep. And we would have been just as happy, by the way. But it's much more exciting that you see the boomerang and the nahafoch, how whatever he was trying to do to Mordechai and all his plans actually turn upside down and turn against him. You following how we're learning? This is an explanation of a midrash. The question that I have regarding the upcoming holiday is a question that I think is the most fundamental question of the whole holiday. The name of the holiday. The name of the holiday is Purim. Now, you should never take anything for granted. So Purim, what's Purim? Because that's the name of the holiday, it's Purim. So I come along and say, I take nothing for granted. I understand why Hanukkah is called Hanukkah. Whoever made that name up, it's a very, very good name. It's a proper brand. 
because it tells me about the holiday. Hanukkah, they re-inaugurated Hanukkah, the Hanech, it's a perfect name. Whoever made up the name Sukkot, it tells me everything. Sukkot, Sukkah. These are great names of holidays. Even Tubishvat, at least it's the day. It doesn't tell me to eat kara, but I know you give me the date of the, of the holiday. That also is valuable. Purim is what? The lottery. Okay, that, I'm not denying that that didn't happen. I'm sh- that, that's, that, that, that happened. Haman made a lottery. And the lottery came out on the 13th of Adar. Uh, genocide, a very aggressive and bold uh, plan to kill the Jews in one day. Hitler at least gave himself six years. Aman had no patience. He said, uh, on Tuesday morning, there'll be Jews. By Wednesday morning, there'll be no more Jews. That's the plan. And that's the lottery. Is that, is that the essence of Purim? The lottery that he took? That's the mechanism that he used to kill the Jews. He used the lottery method. But I would have called the holiday... I mean, that's not what we're celebrating, the lottery. I think we're celebrating the victory. I would have called it Haga Nitzahon, Haga Hatzalah, uh, Haga Yeshua. Haman did a lot of things, by the way. What, why don't you call the holiday Tabat? Because uh, the king gave the ring to... I mean, I mean if, if you're looking for details, I think that the lottery is a detail that would ultimately lead to the, uh, to the day. But it's not the essence of the holiday. Put it this way. If I tell you, and you never heard the story of Purim before, and you say, is there a Jewish holiday coming up? Yeah, a Jew- what, what is it called? It's called the holiday of the lot. Lot meaning of lottery? Yes. Okay, what is it coming to commemorate? No idea, some, some lottery, some, I don't know, lottery? No, it's not, it's not a holiday, a lottery. And if I can ask another question, how many lotteries did he take? As far as I know, one. I did two. If I, the two that I, that I rest, I, I, I stay correct. I, I, in my Megillah, it sounds like he took one. He took a lottery and the 13th of Adar came out. So even if you want to call the holiday, the holiday of the lottery, it should be called Pur. I mean, Megillah says, Hippie and Pur. He, he drew a lot. That's called Pur. So now, for some reason, we're turning it into something that's not even in the Megillah. Purim is plural. Lots. Uh, that's not true. A strong question, by the way. You want to know the answer to the question? Whatever Haman did, at least when you're reading the beginning of the story, you can uh, believe that he is the winner. That everything he's doing is successful to bring him to his plot to kill the Jewish people. All the moves that he's doing, from the diabolical plan, sending out the letters, and all the other things that he's doing to set up this day of genocide, you say, he's winning and we're in trouble. By the time you get to the end of the Megillah, you realize that he wasn't the winner of the lottery. We actually, it, it was reversed. Imagine you have a lottery that they say, the winner is Haman. And then it says, oh, there's an inquiry. The judges are, judges. Oh, sorry, we made a mistake. It's not Haman, it's, uh, it's B'nai Israel, And that's what happens when there's an overturn in the story. The Midrash writes that Haman in his lottery took three dice. He rolls dice. The Guim, they roll dice. And if you know anything about dice, always the dice will equal seven, top to bottom. 
There's a one on top, there's a six on the bottom. Four on top, there's a three on the bottom. Five on top, there's a... You learn something about dice. That's the only thing you remember in the class, maybe. Rabbi taught us about how dice work. It always equals to seven. Okay, that's a, you, learn, you learn the Hadush now. So Haman takes three dice, and he rolls. And he rolls the luckiest number. If you're, if you're from Amalek, which Haman is, the luckiest number, one, three, three. One, three, three... Is, is, is Lotto, is, is, is a jackpot for, for, for Haman, because he comes from Amalek, and Amalek's son, grandson is Agag, and Agag become Haman Agagi. And 133, three, Aleph is Aleph, 1 is Aleph, and 3 3 is Gimal Gimal. So 133 three is Aleph Gimal. So basically, he rolls Agag. Now, if you're Amalek and looking for a sign for are you going to succeed or not, so Boom, he rolls Agag. You can't get a better roll in the dice than that. And the Midrash says, God took the dice and he turned them upside down. And if you take a, a three and you turn it upside down, you have a four. And if you take a one and you turn it upside down, you have a six. And if you take another four and turn it upside, take another three and turn it upside down, you have a... Four. So basically, one three three ends up becoming four six four, and four six four is Dalid Vav Dalid, which is David. So therefore, Venafuchu, it is turned upside. The dice were turned on him, and therefore, it looked like he won the lottery, but ultimately, he is not the winner of the lottery. The lottery is reversed, and who wins? We win. Hence, the name Purim. Purim is hinting that the original lottery that seemed was in Haman's favor was turned to become our Pur. Hence, it's the story of the Nahafuch, the Pur of Haman, which at first glance seems that he is winning. The lottery would turn against him and everything he did ends up turning into our favor. And now they have to scratch the original winner and they say, Rabotai, uh, we thought Amalek won, but now we, after further analysis, we see that David won and the Jewish people won. Hence, his pur became our pur. Now, how do you say that in Hebrew, his pur became our pur? Purim, which, by the way, is the best depiction of the story. We can either call the holiday V'nahafoch, the turnaround or the turnabout, which I don't have a problem with that name either, but if we want to use Migilat, uh, estate language, it's a, it's a pur that turns into a pur. A pur of Haman that turns into a pur of Israel. Now, once you understand this, I would like to explain another part of the Megillah that will prove this point of the Nahafuchu. And then I'll just read you the line in the Tehillim and then we'll, we'll call it a day. This is a part of the Megillah which I think most people unaware of, even though we know the story more or less, it's a detail, it's a fine detail. So Haman wants to kill all the Jewish people. So what does he do? He sends letters out. And he has these scribes sending letters. Now, he sends 127 of these. And the runners have to run. They call them Hadatsim, the runners. They have to run to each one of these 127 provinces to deliver the to deliver the letters. 
I want to explain to you what these letters were. If you look at Megillat Esther in chapter 3, you'll see that there were letters that were delivered to the governors, the 127 governors, they're called the Hashtar Penim, the Pahot, those are the, uh, the heads of the, of the provinces. And then there's the letters that are the revealed letters. Those are the uh, letters that are open letters. So basically there's two different items. Now, let's talk about what's written in the open letters. Those open letters were written and you, they put it on the, on, the, on the post office outside for everybody to see. This is the letters that everybody walks by and says, wow, you saw that? It's revealed. What does it say? It says a few words. On the 13th of Adar, which is, by the way, about a year from now, because the letters actually were sent in Nisan. in Nisan, so it's like very far away, but, you know, you need to prepare. On the 13th of Adar, all it says is, atidim layom hazeh, to be prepared on that day, to take revenge. Okay, be prepared. It sounds like there's going to be some type of... Uh, Action over here. Lehinakim, to take revenge. Who's going to take revenge? Against who? Who's the enemy? Who, no details. Details to follow. All it says is, Lehiot atidim, to be prepared in the future. Everybody says, okay, they mark it on your calendar, put it on the to-do list, okay. Everybody has 13 Adar, no weddings that day, no bar mitzvah, no what do you got? the king says, we got to be ready to, who, who are we fighting against? Who, we, who, we, who knows? Maybe, maybe there's an enemy coming from uh, who knows what. We don't know any details, but just clear your schedule. 13 Adar, everybody's got to show up for the event. Okay. The governor's, come on, so smart. He doesn't let everybody know what the, the plan is because if the Jews would know that it's them, or they have a year to do something, uh, Jews have the Jewish lobby. You know, they talk about the Jewish lobby. They'll get all their friends in the go- Who knows what they'll... So therefore, Haman is very, very clever. We cannot let the Jews know because they'll figure out how to overturn it. And guess what? He was right. Because once the Jews found out about it, via Ruach HaKodesh, they overturned it. So he, he knows exactly what, what, how the Jews have the ability to overturn these decrees. But he didn't know that Mordechai was going to get Ruach HaKodesh. He, he didn't calculate that. Anyway, what does it say in the closed letters, in the sealed letters? The sealed letters say to the governors, keep it a secret. It's the Jews. But uh, keep it under your hat. So the governors were anti-Semitic. It's beautiful. And they know it's the Jews, so therefore they're going to prepare already. And they got all the KKK and the Nazis and the white supremacists. All these guys are getting ready. Now, nobody knows in, 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 in the, in the, in the, in the uh, proletarian, the regular folk, the bourgeoisie doesn't know what's coming up, but the governors know. Now, this is a very clever plan by Haman for the simple reason. It doesn't give the Jews a chance to prepare. However, the governors have the sealed letter, so when the day comes, the governors can already set this into motion. The plan is almost, I say, fail-proof. So God says, by the way, great plan, Haman. I'm going to use your plan now to undo it and to hurt you. Why? Haman's on a tree already, by the way. P.S. He's, he's hungry already. But the decree is still there. And we got a problem. 
Queen Esther will tell the king, so reverse it. Tell them, you know, Sarah, disregard last, uh, last uh, uh, communication. You know, error. You know, sometimes in the text, sorry, wrong person, error. But the parties can't do that. Because the rule in Parasu Madai is when the king sends an edict, you can't reverse it. So that's not an option. You can't reverse the edicts because then the king looks like a fool that he today says do this and tomorrow he says do it. So reversal is not an option. <laughs> but Hasbro says, wait. For some reason, I don't know why Haman did this. I mean, I, I, I can assume why he did this, but the way he did it allows me not to make a reversal, but to make a clarification. Because what does it say on the open letters? On the open says, to be prepared to take revenge. Well, who should be prepared? So now that we're getting a little closer, it's the Jews that should be the ones to be prepared to take revenge. So I'm not reversing any letter. I'm just actually explaining. And the sealed letters... Well, those, only 127 people got those. So I can reverse those without anybody really knowing that I reversed anything because that's only 127 people in a country of 400 million. That's not going to be such a problem to tell the 127 governors disregard. That won't be a big... So what ends up happening, if Haman would have done it in a different way, let's say Haman would have wrote on the revealed letters, the Jews are going to be genocidally killed on the 30th of Adar. That would never be able to be reversed. But because he did it in the way he did, by putting sealed letters and open letters, that actually allows them to be undone. So who should get the credit that the decree ultimately does not happen? I mean, you got to give Haman two points. Thank you, Haman. I mean, uh, thank you for writing them in this way because the way you did it actually allows them now to be undone without them being undone. And Haman for sure is scratching his head in the brain. How, how did this reverse on me? How did this turn on me over? I mean, I thought I won the lottery. And now I see I lost everything I did. Boomeranged. It's such a, it's such a beautiful hashkahab Hashem. Hashem could have saved the Jews in a hundred ways. But instead he said, why generate a new way if already we have a way? Haman's way is perfect. I mean, well, if it's not broken, why do you have to fix it? He already set this into motion. We'll use his plan to bite him. And because Haman does it this way, God says, very simple. And the husband says, we don't have to make any laws. Telling 127 governors, uh, you know, disregard the letter does not really make such a big noise at all in a country of millions of people. It's not like we're telling the whole country to disregard a letter. And we'll just find that. What, what, what ultimately happens on the 13th of Adar? Well, the Jews come out and uh, some of the enemies will show up, but because there's always anti-Semites and they know there's going to be a fight with the Jews. They know some Jews are going to be in the street to protect themselves. And the government is behind the Jews, by the way. The government is behind the Jews. The fact that they're letting Jews defend themselves, that's a reversal in policy. And therefore, uh, they have now police protection. Now they got the army protecting the Jews. And before you know it, they kill 75,000 KKK on one day and all the white supremacists and all the Nazis and all these, the Shaim, skinheads, whatever you want to call them, 75,000 of them. And, and the reason is because they got police protection. And whatever Haman does, 
the Pasuk says at the end of the Migdalah, V'nahafokhu. V'nahafokhu. And that's what we're reading in our chapter in Tehillim, ladies. In, Pedic, in this Pedic, which is chapter 84, which is the chapter of revenge. We're asking God, El Nekamot, the God of revenge, take revenge and do it in the way only God knows how to do it. And the Pasuk says, Chavgiman, a perfect way, a perfect model of history. Vayashiv alehem etonam, God returns their evil. Ubra'atam, and with their wicked plot, yetzmitim. He uses their ra'atam in order to bring them down. And also, yetzmitim adonai yedohenu. God uses other methods as well. God doesn't only use the method that they planned, but the more uh, uh, dramatic method is the ubra'atam yetzmitim. These two words in this chapter over here actually are a venahafochu system. It's the system of reversal. And that's exactly what's going to happen uh, in our time again when Mashiach comes. All, all the methods and the plans that the Guim set uh, over the course of time to trap the Jewish people, somehow B'nai Yisrael are going to walk over the trap and it's not going to close on us. And for somehow it's going gonna, it's gonna to close on them. And that's what we say that uh, Kishem, just as Hashem made miracles uh, for our people, Bayamimahim, God will make them Bazmanazeh. But not only is He going to make them Bazmanazeh uh, in this time, but He's going to make them in the same way. And that's what this Pasuk is telling us. You're going to see Ubra'atam Yatsmitim, that in their evil plots and their uh, machinations that they were planning against the Jewish people, Yatsmitim. They're going to get caught and they're going to be buried in the graves that they were digging for us. We'll stop over here.